Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And now the end is near and so I face the final curtain. My friends, I'll say it clear, I'll state my case, of which I'm certain. I have to keep going now, really, don't I? I've lived a life that's full, I've travelled each and every highway. But more, much more than this, I did it my way. <sighs> Bit of mint tea. I haven't sang in too long. I used to do that. I used to sing songs. I used to write songs. And um, not like that. I was in a band. I suppose started off writing songs on a guitar, and um, then my good cousin, my good pal, Mr. R.J. Kearns, I used to go over to his house, and uh, I'd have these song ideas, and we would just uh, sit there, and I would sing the song, and he never made me feel embarrassed about it, because I'm sure that some of them were god-awful, but he'd always work out some kind of cool riff on the electric guitar to go along with it, and that's how we kind of started making things together in his what was his music room at the time, which is now his dad's garage. His dad's got a, like an old vintage Saab. It's quite a beautiful thing. But they kind of got rid of that room and made it into a garage for, for his dad. And uh, But anyway, we used to be there uh, writing and making songs, recording then down the years. And then we got my my brother to join and, and my other cousin to join. And we had a band for a year. Would you believe that? I can't remember how old I was when it started, but I'm going to say, like, it's definitely at least 10 years ago. I think it's over 10 years ago since we broke up, so, yeah, I was in my early 20s. And I thought I was old at the time, I was too old to be starting a band, for fuck's sake! Stop wishing your life away! <laughs> oh! But it was great times. And then for a couple of years after the band, well, not for a couple of years, for a year... I studied in the Belcanto School of Singing, which was a very brief period, but man, it was an amazing experience. 
a man there in the Dublin Bel Canto School of Singing kind of taught Bel Canto, which is the old 16 or 1700 style of Italian singing, which the great tenor Frank McCormack would have learned back in the day. But loads of artists, Irish, I say artists, Irish singers would have gone to spend time in this school. Sinead O'Connor, Christy Dignam, who's the guy who actually got me into it because I read his first autobiography. And it was, he talked about bel canto singing. And so because of that, I went and looked it up and I went to learn singing classes i'm saying this as if like what you heard there was some kind of amazing singing it wasn't but i enjoyed the learning at the time and it was all about storytelling and sticking to the truth of each word and not not singing noises which sounds ridiculous but sometimes you you you, when you're singing or when you hear other people singing they're not telling the story they're just making sounds there's a distinct difference in that hard to understand and hard to contemplate and sometimes you don't even think that you're doing yourself, but when you were singing for the tutor there, he'd pull you up straight away. No, that's not the way you'd say that word. So it was a cool time. It was a cool time. I really enjoyed it. And the way the class went was was that you would walk up and down his office nonstop for like half an hour, 45 minutes, and you'd have to re- sing back to him what he sang to you. That was just the process. I kind of only scratched the surface because I only did about eight or nine months of it and you're not going to get, you know, massively far after that. But I I ended up singing like arias from operas and Nessun Dorma. Oh, sole mio. Stuff like that. But uh, it's a muscle like anything, like going to the gym. If you're not doing it, it uh, it doesn't stay warm, I suppose. Something like that. Something cryptic. I'm sure there's loads of beautiful singers out there. Moya Brennan was on the Tommy Tiernan chat show the other night. What a singer she is. Oh, my God. She was famously of the the band Clannad and her famous sister Enya. Beautiful singers they were. But welcome to the show is the point of this podcast. (laughs) Episode number 49. Oh, my God. What an achievement to get to where we did already. But as you, some of you already know, and some of you may not have heard yet, but episode 49 means that there are only three episodes after this one. Because we'll have episode 50, 51, and see you later, is 52. And I've got a lot of messages, and a lot of people who are regular listeners to the show are shocked. Shocked! That the podcast is coming to an end. I suppose it's coming to an end for for now. And I don't have any answers as to specifically why. As I said in the last podcast, it's more about other things going on that I'm going to put my energy towards them. It's not saying that I haven't enjoyed this a lot. I've loved it. When you look back at some of the conversations that we've had, they're amazing. And the conversations that I get to have with strangers, people I don't even know because of the podcast, it's really and truly an amazing thing. And I'm very grateful for the last year and all the things that I've learned. And that's it. There's no but. It's just time for me to do put my energies towards other things. And that is all that is happening. 
and it could be coming back in the form of another podcast or this one reformed or there's a change to this one. I don't know, but it's great to be in the unknown sometimes. I do look back at points in my life where major changes happened and they were just from jumping and not knowing. I think the band had just finished up actually. And I was working in a job that was very well paid for the age that I was at. And for somebody who hadn't finished school and stuff like that, I managed to get myself a well-paid job with seven weeks holidays a year. Imagine that. Seven weeks. Three weeks at Christmas, three weeks in the summer, and a week at Easter. It was like being a teacher. <laughs> but it was amazing. But it was, And it was because it was well-paid and I had comfortable time off like that, it was very difficult to leave. But I knew I had to. I was there for two and a half years and I had to leave. And I did not know what I was going to do. The band had split up. You know, my football career wasn't going to happen. So I just left the job. Kind of crazily, really. And didn't have anywhere to go. Just applied to loads of different courses. Back to education courses and... Long story short, I ended up becoming an actor for a few years and that led into becoming a stand-up comedian and now I do both and none of that would not would have happened if I hadn't jumped out of that job. Now that I say this, I've just realised that that jump happened exactly 10 years ago. 10 years ago this summer, so nine and a half years ago, sorry. <laughs> not exactly 10. But I'm not saying that the jump off the podcast means that a whole new, brand new life starts. But, you know, I don't know. All I'm saying is that sometimes you don't know what's going to happen next, but you just take a jump anyway. There's nothing wrong in that. <sighs> Enjoying my mint tea. Thanks very much, guys. I'm genuinely excited about giving you this episode I because I really enjoyed doing it. I recorded it um, on the Monday before you're going to listen to it. On Monday morning. And um, this individual is a very interesting uh, person that some of you will know, but most of you are not going to know. And um, I suppose sometimes you can not judge a book by its cover. When you meet this man, you kind of you go, oh, yeah, he's an interesting individual. What's going on with him? You'll meet a kind man. You'll meet a very, uh, very pleasant, charming man. But when you hear about him, sometimes I feel like you might judge, you might judge the book by its cover. You know, you might hear, oh, this is that's what he worked at. He preached. He was a religious guy for twenty-two years. That's a bit, that's a bit weird, isn't it? And that's fair enough. That's some sometimes the prejudice that people put on individuals like that. But what this podcast, this episode gives you is a conversation between a father and a son. And that's an interesting element in it, but it's also kind of figuring things out a little bit and exploring and thinking a little bit. And it's not a laugh a minute, but it's a great conversation, especially the opening of it was really interesting what uh, this man went to do. This man, of course, being my father, Mr. the Reverend 
<laughs> Mr. Sean Mullen, who uh, is a great man, who uh, we, you know, in some ways, I'm sure there's definite points where, you know, it's not awkward because I didn't want it to be awkward or anything like that. And I wasn't looking for anything from him in this podcast, but it, by virtue of the conversation of his life, it obviously brings up, goes into certain areas where, you know, I think you'll guess that my dad and I had a bit of a, a rough time. But that's not at all what I'm looking for here. At one point he says, you want me to say sorry? And I'm like, no, no, that's not what I'm t- getting at here at all. But what an interesting life he has led and dedicated his life to something that he has believed in. And that's something I hugely admire. Whether you would agree, you agree with the politics of it or whether you agree with the the belief systems of it or not, it's a little bit irrelevant because when you hear the tone, when you hear the voice, when you hear the conversation, you understand there's something different going on with this man, you know? And yeah, whoa, have we had our ups and downs. Whoa! We've had some rough years. I wasn't going to talk about that stuff, but, you know, I think in a lot of ways my mom and dad... And my dad in particular is just happy that I'm alive. <laughs> but he's uh, such an interesting character and uh, such a, a strong-minded individual, but very caring individual and very much a visionary. And uh, somebody who I think has come to a, a stage in his life where he's looking back and and looking back at the enjoyment that he's had in the past, but also the enjoyment that he's having now in, in the work that he does now. If you want to go and uh, visit the work that he does now, you can have a cup of coffee there. You can have something to eat in third space on Smithfield Square because that is the project that he's working on now. It's a very popular place in Dublin 7. If you are in Dublin visiting, if you're from abroad, go check it out. It's on Smithfield Square. In this conversation, he'll tell you all about the unique concept that third space is as well and why it's different to every other cafe and restaurant. And that's kind of it. Thank you. Oh, yeah. I forgot to say, loads of you sent me messages about the podcast finishing up. And thank you for that. Oops, sorry. Was that a bit gurgling on the mic? Thank you for that. And thank you for the uh, for the lovely messages. Um, and it's definitely, it's it's not the end at all. Nothing's over. There's plenty of podcasts out there. But no, I genuinely thank you for all the support and thank you for everyone who's continued to listen and I'm really working at giving you guys the, the best three episodes I can over the coming weeks. So there's plenty more fun to be had. Don't be worried about that. You've made it to February, guys, of 2020. There's no January of 2020 ever happening again and we've got through the gloom of winter. And yes, it's still cold, but you know what? The sun is shining today as I record this. It's cold out there, but the sun is out and the days are just getting longer all the way to June. Ah, we're just going to get more sun, guys. I hope you're having a great week. Wednesday, well done. You've made it to the hump day. And today I give to you a brilliant conversation, a fantastic episode that is full of philosophy and laughs and stories and the journey of overcoming challenges and a a story about opening one door and realizing that it's opened so many more. Ladies and gentlemen, enjoy the fantastic episode number 49. This is Sean Mullen. (laughs) 
exchange of filthy animals. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show, and what a pleasure and honor it is <laughs> to welcome to the show the, the man responsible for me being the son of a preacher, man, let's be honest about it. Mr. Sean Mullen, you're very welcome. Thank you. Um, how, are you how are you doing? Because I, I know you had a great week last week. I was uh, away on a silent retreat. Oh, it was silent. It was silent. Wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, in Dublin. In <laughs> it's hard to shut them up, you know. <laughs> wow, how was that? So that was like, it was it was a week, was it? Uh Monday to Friday, yeah. Yeah. I left Friday week. evening. Right. Um so yeah, it was good. It was interesting. The first time I, I'd done that. I'd gone away into the mountains and things like that on my mm. own. So it was in effect a silent retreat because you didn't meet anyone, you know. Mm. Uh, but this was interesting because you were with people, but no one was talking to each other. Yeah, and in but when you go to the mountains and stuff like that, you find, ever find yourself talking to yourself or like? I talk to myself in my head, yeah, all the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, but I don't talk out loud. No, I'm not as brave as you. With that I don't know if it's brave or stupid. I got caught in the street on Manor Street the other day, and a neighbor going, "Were you just talking to yourself?" And I, I had to say, "Probably." <laughs> I've no idea. Um, See, nowadays people are walking around talking, and yes. you, they've got the earpiece over the phone, or you assume they have anyway, so you can yeah, get away with that's it. That's true. That's true. I mean, I do do that. I do fake the phone up to the ear sometimes. And talk to yourself. I mean, yeah. Well, don't tell Maureen this, but when I'm going past her shop, just so I don't get pu- pulled in. <laughs> <laughs> what I, if she listens to your I podcast? Put, I put the phone to the yeah, she does she definitely doesn't. <laughs> She's still on the wireless in the shop, so I'm alright. <laughs> so a silent retreat. So this was out in, in Manresa. In Clontarf. In yeah. Clontarf. And uh so yeah, what what what's it what's it is it frustrating? Is it how does it go? Uh it uh well it, it's not Five. completely silent. You meet for some with someone for half an hour every day. Um okay. that's you your um uh, and and you talk about the day that's been and about the day that you're going to have. So it's in the morning, like nine o'clock. Right. And the best thing for me was the phone. My phone was off completely for a hundred hours. That was like woof. Godsend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Amazing. <literally. laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah. It was great. And you felt great freedom in that. And, uh, and any first, like during the day, did you find it like I really need to talk now? Or no, no, not at all. No, I am. Um, uh, uh, you've got Bull Island there, so I went for a walk every day. Okay. I, I had that sort of planned into my routine. And then they've got this beautiful room there. They call it the prayer room where there's these beautiful stained glass windows. And uh, you can sit in silence there. Uh, the light coming in, uh, there's nothing really to distract you. Um, and uh, I, f- I was amazed at how long I was able to sit in silence and not feel restless or feel... Uh, Right. That I had to get up and go or anything like that, you know. And did you even know how long you were there for? Or are you keeping track of time no, at all? No, not, not really. Um, I, w- I, would, um, I would discover eventually how long I'd been there, you know. Like either um, I did have a Kindle with me because I was doing some reading. So if I turned that on, I could, I could check the time on that. That was the only thing. I didn't have my watch or anything like that. Right. Um, and it was usually, I usually had a, a more or less a sense of how long I'd been there, you know. Mm. I didn't get completely lost, you know, find I'd been there for four hours and felt like five minutes or anything like that. No. Yeah. Wasn't that good? <laughs> <laughs> and was it a time of, like, quiet, I don't mean meditation in the active word, but, like, you know, just the silence kind of overcomes you a little bit? Is there prayer involved in it? Is there... 
Uh, mostly it's just silence. So I call it contemplation. Um, so it's it's just the idea of being still, being aware of life, being aware of God and his presence, um, but not really doing anything. And uh, uh, you, you reach a, a space where there's a stillness and a quietness and an inward stillness and quietness that... Um, it's just an easy place to be and there's no real sense of having to because you've created the outward space first by going there and you know taking the time out and sorting out work and all that so um and uh that was then the inner space comes from that i think that you the inner quietness and stillness and just that sense of i don't need to do anything i don't have to be anywhere i don't have to talk to anyone I can simply be here, and if my mind, if I catch my mind kind of wandering somewhere, then it's okay. I just I just become aware of that and, and allow it to slow down again and stop. And um, so I spent about three quarters of an hour one day looking at the the light on the wall. So the light was coming through these uh, stained glass windows, and uh, the sun was there was clouds, so the sun was coming and going. So the light would appear and disappear, and the colours on the wall would change with the clouds. Um, and I could have sat there for another two or three hours, but then the cloud came in, and there was no more light there. <laughs> <laughs> but it was beautiful, and there was nothing going on in me other than just being aware of that and being still and being at peace, rest. Did you find then over the course of the week that you you say rest? Were you sleeping better? Or uh, yeah, I did sleep well. Yeah, um, yeah. Although the room I was in, Miss Reason, oh, I shouldn't tell them that. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I can cut out the name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So the first night, I I wasn't used to that, and uh, I had to go looking for extra blankets and stuff. Okay. But other than that, I did sleep well. Yeah, yeah. I didn't have disturbed sleep. It's it's not just how long you sleep. I think it's it's the quality of your sleep. Uh, so. So you obviously go looking for for that like beforehand. What was it that led you to to go and look for that kind of a space or to go and? Uh, I've I've always I've never done something like that without feeling at the end of it. Ah, oh, that was worthwhile doing that. Um, so when I've gone off for a few days in the mountains or gone walk in the Kerry Way or walk in the community of Santiago, whatever it is. I've all, I've always feel that I come back feeling I've really benefited from creating a bit of space in my life, and um, I the the one one of the things that really encouraged me this time was how quickly I disconnected from a busy previous week, busy in work and all of that, and then to come there on a Monday morning having, and it, it was no actually Monday afternoon, um, having spent Monday morning sorting everything out, you know. So the, um I was amazed by Monday evening I was totally disconnected and uh was quiet and still so I think that that was great. None of it yeah, none of it mattered. All the things that were chasing around all the time yeah. just kinda of went Yeah. What am I chasing? A little yeah. bit. Yeah, wow. So um I'm glad we started on the light thing anyway before we got into it and heavy Well I was just gonna tie it into I remember like um well, for example, the, like so, you 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 are part of Third Space. You're part of the Third Space project in Smithfield Square, which in itself is about literally about creating a space. Yeah, which is what you're talking about there, and in, in trying to get your, um, you know, your space to, to be quiet and all that. I remember Third Space 
goodness me, how is it eight years? Eight years uh, in about ten days time. Wow, genie yeah. Max. So I remember all that. I remember doing dishes on one of the first nights in there. <laughs> after I'd done like one of my, I was on my first acting job in the Gaiety Theatre. And I, do you remember this? I came Big up, Maggie. I was in Big Maggie and was on stage in front of 1,200 people. And then I called down to third space and it was like, get in and wash the dishes there. <laughs> there was no Very appropriate. Uh, yeah, yeah. But um, uh, so it was, it, it took a while to get going, didn't it? It was, and also how, how would you explain third space, sorry, to people before that? Because I always, when I tell other people about third space, most people, certainly in this area, know about it. Um, and, uh, but then when I have to explain, they always go like, "Oh, your dad owns it, isn't?" And I was like, "Well, he doesn't. That's that's kind of not the way it works." Yeah, I say, I say, I don't know if this is correct. It's a social enterprise which he started. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well done. Um, yeah. So it's it is it is a business that is run for a social purpose. Um, so in the technical things, it's it's set up as a company limited by guarantee, which means effectively that no one owns it as such. Right. There are directors, but they don't own it. You can't, no one can sell it. Okay. Um, oh, wow. Uh, how does it get, so how does it end then, if it ever ends? Or? Uh, it, it, that's all written down in the articles of right. uh, that we used to set it up. So if it was ever to cease trading, then there, there would be an obligation to use whatever funds were left over uh, to um, uh, put, put them into something that was of a similar... Ilk. Okay, right. Uh, it could, people couldn't put the money in their pocket, basically. Yeah. Um, so it, it runs as a cafe. Uh, that's the business side of it. So a very busy cafe um, with a staff of uh, 20 people um, and open seven days a week. And then around that, what we've tried to do is create a social or community space that's used by lots of different folk outside of our normal business hours, but also during our business hours that we consciously seek to create uh, an atmosphere an environment of welcome of making people feel at home that they belong there and that the place in some way belongs to them mm. so it we deliberately set out to to help people feel that it belonged to them in some way yeah um, and we have people who are regulars who are in there every day we've got people who've been coming in since we opened yeah uh, and they're still in there virtually every working day um, so that creates a whole community in itself and you know we've seen births and marriages say, and you have deaths the, yeah, and that's right, yeah. literally we've, yeah. we've seen uh, two marriages of people who met in third space wow and uh, they've they've both uh, produced offspring and we've uh, they brought the offspring in <laughs> wow uh, goodness yeah, me so, yeah. and are they still in the area or are they they're still at home um, or they've moved on or? so one one couple uh, they, they're uh, in the area still yeah, working uh, and another couple lived here for several years but have since moved on right. and, and drop in every year or two to yeah, say yeah. hello still yeah oh, it's amazing it's fantastic and it is an interesting uh, I mean that is a fascinating thing that there, I don't know if there's any other businesses in Dublin that do run for the purpose of creating a space for other people. It's, it's really not for profit, and to get the concept of that in your head is like, for example, if it, if it's ever to be sold, it's, it ceased trading. Nobody gets the money. Hmm. That's cr- that's crazy when you think about it. Yeah. <laughs> 
which was which is why it was so difficult to start up as well. Yeah, now social business or social enterprise is um, is a much more recognised concept. When uh, the, the government launched a social enterprise strategy last year, the first time they've they've ever done that. Um, but when when we opened. We had never even heard of the term social enterprise. Right. Now, we discovered afterwards that it's well developed in other countries, um, Scotland being a, a, our closest neighbour with a really good, strongly developed social enterprise culture. Um, but we discovered that later rather than... The, the, the idea came from, look, at the time of the crash, um, being involved in a lot of uh, uh, bodies, NGO-type bodies that were... Um, funded in some way by the state or by philanthropy and seeing all their funds dry up at the time of the financial crash just at the time when their services were needed most yeah and there was that sense of this doesn't make sense the the time when these are most needed that's the time they were the funds are drying up and many of them had to close down um so the idea was to create something that would fund itself but also provide social benefits so that's where that's where I thought of and do you remember the early days of, of get up and running? I remember you on the till. I had a sketch on your own little sketch of that. Like you, I mean, you were busy from day one. We were. Yeah. The doors opened, and there was queues, and it was like it was. If ever there was a sign that there was hunger for that kind of type type of thing in the area. And there was queues at the door and poor dad on the till now going, and I'm what price is that now? And then with the big finger typing in the till, but then putting his glasses on to check the price board behind him and then come back down again. <laughs> but there were, fu- but people, st- I mean, it never stopped. It never stopped people coming or anything. That just was all part of it. It wasn't every... They, were, they, they gave us a fool's pardon because we didn't, know, we didn't know what we were doing the first few days we opened. But we were very nice to people yeah, doing yeah. it, you know. So they, they gave us a fool's pardon and kept coming back and uh, we we from the beginning we knew that we were committed to building relationships so for example when very early on in the the whole thing our our card machine broke down having just got it working it broke down wasn't working um and so people were coming in we were fi- finding they couldn't pay with their card um so we said to everybody uh, it, you can pay by cash or if you if you don't have the cash come back and pay us tomorrow right um and people just love that yeah. that there was a big thing for people that that we trust them enough to say yeah sure and everybody came paid yeah and i'm sure told all their friends you know there's this great cafe you know that yeah, they, yeah, they yeah. told us to come back and pay tomorrow they felt trusted yeah and they felt they were part of the community so that was a an unplanned yeah. <laughs> uh, strategy that worked really well. There's something in the, in the magic of the place that you did uh, speak about before that it is a kind of it's nearly a texture when you when you walk in there that it's hard to define and it's hard to understand exactly what it is, but you, you know what it is. Like I sent, um, I was chatting to one of my neighbours because I live a little bit up the road from here, and um, I told her about third space. She's like, oh, I've seen it, all right. I haven't gone down there. I must go down, and bring my mother down there. And her mother's a character now. She's uh, <laughs> she's putting her mother in the car one day, and she said, she said, she said um, now uh, Sandra said, now this is my neighbour. This is Stephen, and she's like a fine looking fella. He is, and she said, thank you, ma'am, and trying <laughs> trying to close the door. But look at the shoulders on that. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> she's in her seventies or something. Sorry about her, you know. We're just looking for someone for a tea and a scone, right? <laughs> so I sent her down to third space and she'd never heard of it and she came back she said, now you report your dad now it was fantastic it was brilliant which had Tina's going on was love there's something different about it and she'd right. only been in there once yeah and everybody gets that yeah there's that sense of it um 
and I, 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 I'm, it's, it's, it's not definable, but it must be. That's just the way that. Yeah. that the so we have a set of values, and our first value is magic every day. So we actually right. use that word magic, and it because in the early days we experienced that as well. People loved the place; they really, really loved it, um, and uh, they. So we thought, okay, let's you know whatever we're doing is is right. So it's not, and it, the reason we use the word magic is because it's not something that you can explain or bottle or sell or. Mm. We, we don't even try to use it in terms of promoting the, the business or anything like that. It's just the people experience it when it's there mm. and and it's good. And, you know, it's not perfect by any means. We don't claim that. But it is, there is something that says that people feel, ooh, I really like this space, you know. But because there's, a, there's, a, there's like a magic in the failings as well. So like you're saying, there's no, there's no, we're not, we're not perfect. Yeah. Nobody is, but it's kind of like... There's, there seems to be that there's grace for that, but there's, yeah, yeah we we're fail not denying well. it either. Yeah, we fail well. Another one of our values is don't blame train. Okay. So, so if something goes wrong, we're not trying to find out whose fault it was. We're trying to find out uh, what, what did people What's, not know or okay. understand, or what training were they lacking? So you're trying that, to find a solution. Yeah, exactly. Right. Not just to the problem, but the problem behind the problem, because there's always a problem behind the problem mm. that, that causes it, you know. So, Jeez, that's great. Now, I would write that down actually for myself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, bl- don't blame train. Yeah, that's a great one. Yeah. So, th- so, re- you're in, so you're in this industry, the service industry, food, beverages, restaurant, uh, and community, essentially, social entrepreneurship. Uh, and where did you do your training for this? <laughs> <laughs> the point I'm making is like this is not your background at all. No, no, I had no, I had no business background at all. And you wouldn't know. You're probably too young. But but um, when when you were in primary school or maybe even younger, uh, your mom used to run the household finances because I'd made. I do such remember a mess that, yeah. Because <laughs> I used to hear I hear about it all the time. <laughs> Every time I had a hole in my tracksuit bottoms, I'd hear about the credit card bill. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, I, yeah, there you go. So you weren't good at it. That's why Mama ended up doing it. No, I wasn't good. At it. Wow. I, I wasn't. I wasn't good at the detail and paying attention to stuff. And right, uh, yeah, I wasn't. Um, so yeah, that's how that's how bad I was at at the business side of things. And I had, I, I, I had two previous careers, as you know. I was I worked as a navigation officer in on merchant ships and cargo ships. And I worked as a leader, pastor, minister, preacher uh, for 22 years. 22 years, yeah. 22 so years. That's, so yeah. that's the preparation. <laughs> <laughs> so that was like, that was pretty much our childhood. All of yeah. us was our childhood when you were um, working in churches, essentially. Yeah. Um, and so the move from, I suppose, forget about moving from, going from that into third space but how do you get into that type of work because it's a very specific individual that really uh wants to to take a listen to a calling as, as you would have, have put it and go and do that kind of a work um i remember one of your sisters saying to me that you were always different and i was like oh interesting what's what's that about so you're from a family of nine kids and she said that you had a fight with one of your brothers which was normal to everybody but you had taken it really, t- and you'd felt really, really bad about it, and that you went out and you got a present for him to, to apologize and all that, and everyone else was going on, what's going on here? This is not, but that it had really, 
it had really uh, th- it really marked to her that there was something there was always something a little different in oh, you really? to them. I don't yeah. remember that. I don't yeah, <laughs> I don't think she. I don't think she told you that. But she, I remember asking uh, uh, her telling me that story, and she, and her and somebody else had remembered that you did a fight with with Eamon. right? And that had really you'd really taken you know taken it to heart and. Wow. Um, I don't know if it's a different level of sensitivity or if it's a different level of uh, of uh, connection to to God or I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know either. I like I always I I don't think there was ever a time in my life when I thought there's nothing there. Okay. Like I there was always some level of awareness that there was something there. Now part of it was accepted as like growing up in a in an Irish Catholic family in the 1960s in Ireland, um, that was just normal. Like everybody yeah. was like that, you know. Yes. You didn't know anybody who didn't go to church. Yes, yeah. <laughs> like that was the way it was. Yeah. Um, the, I did, one of my friends from school, um, his dad didn't go to Mass and everybody knew everybody about knew that. that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, that, so this is in Cove, in, in yeah. Cork, where you grew up, yeah. right? And what was it like growing up there in in that scenario? Uh, it was it was fine in that. Uh, it, looking back in it, you feel oh, it was a bit claustrophobic, but it didn't feel like that at the time, you know, because because you, you didn't know anything else, of or you course. weren't used to anything else. There definitely was a sense of there was a commonly accepted um, uh, level of behaviour, um, and you know, it wasn't good to go outside that, you know. So okay. occasionally you would hear about uh, uh, a girl getting pregnant who wasn't married and that kind right. of thing. But it was really unusual, like right. really unusual. Yeah. I, like, as I think back in my head now at the moment, I can only think of two that I was aware of. Right. Um, in t- And you would have known about people's lives. Everybody knew about each other's lives, you know. So the gossip was big. Everybody knew yeah, what yeah. was going on. Yeah, like, okay. yeah, yeah. And I know you were like, because Nan and Papa were quite strict religious at the time. Yeah, yeah, very. So you were an altar boy and yeah. you guys were down at six o'clock doing the rosary and all that kind of crack as well. Uh, th- that was a phase. Oh, uh, that's right. Yeah. Do you remember me saying that? <laughs> <laughs> it was a phase. I don't know who. <laughs> he I got over that. <laughs> I don't, don't quite know who was responsible for that, but <laughs> it was some, probably some priest that came in to do a mission or something like that. Right. I, don't, I don't know. I don't remember what started it, but uh, it's... it's yeah, there was a phase for about a year, I'd say, where uh, we were a family rosary every evening. Right. And I mean, right to the end, like, Papa was quite, uh, like, his, that was the first Latin mass I'd ever been to. Um, yeah. Like, he was still quite hardcore to the end, wasn't he? Well, he was very, both of them were very traditional Catholics in the sense of they, they felt that they didn't like Vatican II or anything like that. That was... Uh, Vatican II? Yeah, I don't know what that. Is. Well, that was all the change that came about in the early 1960s when, like, they changed the mass from Latin into the into the local language. Okay, right. Um, and they turned the the priest around to start facing the the audience oh, instead, right. of, instead of doing so the stand modern up, way. Stand up with your back to the yeah. crowd. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So the the so the modern way of doing mass that basically I I know that only came in in the 1960s. Yeah. Oh yeah. my goodness. Right. Yeah. So it was proper. Goodness, and now I'm really starting to understand how the evolution of the oppression begins to loosen up and how things have changed. Oh, yeah, big time, yeah. Goodness me, I had no idea of that. So, so that, but did that, did that affect you when you're going through your teenage years and all? Did you always have a sense that you were meant for uh, work or were you always work within the church or religious work or did you have a sense of... Uh, no, actually, I, I, um, 
because people pushed that at me a few times and and it, it was never something that really interested me the priesthood uh, yeah the right. idea of that yeah, yeah. Uh, you know i was kind of encouraged to consider okay that sort of thing you Who know was that um well, it, mainly it was because so, because we went to a, a secondary school, a Pres Brothers school. Yes, and that was part of it. And then we were involved in the local parish. I was an altar boy, and all of that. Yes. So all of those things would cause okay. you. So it was like priests and teachers and yeah, things yeah, like yeah. that, or yeah. uh, that sort. And of you were studious. You were very good in school. You did very well in school. Uh, I, yeah, I wasn't brilliant, but I, yeah, I think you got good marks, didn't you? I did, yeah, yeah. 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 Better than I did. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the standard? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's uh, but you were because you were cause were you in the same class as your older brother as well? Oh, yeah. 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 So you were, you were up against it a little bit as well. You were yeah. The he was setting the standard, and I oh, was, was he okay? Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. right. He was very good. It's good. Yeah. And then at sixteen or seventeen, you just signed up to P and O and went away to see. Yeah, I was in school actually in secondary school. So this is like fifth year or maybe the beginning of sixth year. And, uh, and one of the lads in our class um, had a letter that he showed me that he'd got an, a, a, an invitation to an interview from a shipping company. Uh, and the interview was in Glasgow or something like that. And they were paying his expenses to go to Glasgow for this interview. And I thought, Jenny, that's great. I'm going <laughs> to do that. So I started applying for shipping companies. You know, right. and the furthest I got for an interview was Belfast. It's <laughs> 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 pretty disgusting. Yeah. But... Uh, Anyway, I, then as I started getting the information about a career in shipping, I did begin to get, get more interested. And of course, my dad had been um, at sea. My grandfather had been at sea. So it was sort of... It was in the blood a little yeah, bit, all right. it definitely was, yeah. And did your dad encourage you? Not particularly, actually. He wasn't He wasn't overly enthusiastic about a career at sea. He felt that he had come ashore mm-hmm. um uh, when after he got married and started having kids, and uh, he didn't feel that it was a life for someone long term at sea, it wasn't a good life because you were away from home for it wasn't so a long. Good family life, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was a lot when I got there. There's a, there's a lot of divorces and a lot of oh of, really yeah right yeah. Um, so he he didn't oppose it, right? But he I you know I didn't get the kind of encouragement that you would normally expect to get from from a father who's in whose career footsteps you're following. You know? Yeah, yeah. But yeah. he he was very helpful. You know. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And so you went away to see. Eventually signed up with P and O. I signed. Yeah, I literally signed on my seventeenth birthday. Wow, that's the day I signed the contract, um, and uh, I um, I if a week or two later I got a letter from them and I'd been expecting to join a ship in like uh, London or Liverpool or somewhere like that because it was an English a British shipping company um, and my first uh, ship I joined in Port Reading New Jersey wow uh, and I couldn't believe it because those were jackpot <laughs> <laughs> those were in the days when like Irish people didn't travel yes. the way they do now, you know. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't. Uh, so, had you been abroad by at that stage? No, I'd been to London. Okay. Uh, uh, once uh, at the end of primary school, at the beginning of secondary school, and that was the only uh, travel I'd done. I'd never been in a plane until I flew to London to um, to go on then to to go uh, to PO. to to go to New York to New Jersey. Oh right. Um, so how did you get to London in primary school? Just train and, uh, and sail? We, we went uh, the the car. Okay. Uh, car and ferry. Right. Wow. Yeah. Genie Mac. So first time on a plane off to, over to the US. Yeah. And then 
just start working? You just kind of... Yeah, it was a training program. So there was nine of us on the ship, all in training. And it was a really good training program. So the, it was set up as a year at sea, then a year at college, a year at sea, and a year at college. And during the year at sea, you had a correspondence course that you had to do through the year. And there was a training officer on the ship. So wow. they had, they had uh, a guy who was... Um, his job was to teach us everything he knew. Wow, that's um, brilliant. It was really, really, really good, yeah. Way better than the apprenticeship that I did. <laughs> just yeah. like, get them doors hung there quick, fairly lively. We were just cheap labour, to be honest. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. And yeah. so it was during that time that you began, that, like, that I remember you, you kind of met somebody in Glasgow, was it, about how you became a Christian, basically a born-again Christian? Yeah, I am... Um, so it started really on on the first that ship that I joined in New Jersey. I ended up sharing a cabin with a guy, and uh, he had a Bible with him. Now I did I had a New Testament with me um, that I'd been given by the Gideons in uh, in school. You know they go around giving out yes, the New right. Testaments. So you have to find their Bibles in hotels and stuff, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So um, I brought that with me, and I I don't remember now if I would read it regularly or occasionally, or I can't. It wasn't a really big thing for me, but I was definitely interested in yeah. it. I wanted to to know more about. Um, and this guy had a Bible which was new, and so it was relatively new for him as well. I don't think he'd been brought up as a churchgoer, but mm. he he um, he he. Uh, something had happened in his life and he'd ended up uh, uh, being very serious about uh, following Jesus. So we used to have these long discussions and he was a Protestant from Northern Ireland and I was a Catholic from oh, the wow. Republic of Ireland. Okay, right. So for me, a, a lot of it was, in, initially was kind of just a bit of prejudice towards, you know, that I was going to disagree with him because that's the way I was. You know? but, yeah, but you were naturally built that way. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, do, I, I don't think I was really consciously prejudiced yeah. but but it did come out definitely you of know course, in those yeah. conversations yeah. yeah and at that time as well goodness me yeah yeah yeah, yeah that's right because it was it was the worst of times in northern ireland you yeah. know really bad this is this is uh 76 77 yeah. you know awful and, times and so you're kind of just debating it out and kind of chatting about yeah we it. would talk about everything but but like i said he because he, he wasn't from uh really a very church background he we didn't talk a lot about churchy things like he wasn't the same class of a protestant as i was a catholic you know it okay. was <laughs> yeah yeah I get it you. was um he it was much lighter for him yeah. than it was for me so uh we just had some really really good conversations and uh some some of the other guys used to laugh at us because uh most of them were english you know and, right. and no religious uh interest or background at all you know yeah yeah so they couldn't get over the things we were talking about yeah. you know they used to laugh at us um <laughs> it's funny because they do seem completely free of that in england in a lot of ways of religion and your identity being caught up in in that just from my time living in in the uk just kind of like yeah oh, yeah they don't Little little things that you see coming out here and there that you realize that they don't hold any, you know, grudge or kind of, um, oh, I can't do that because boom, boom, boom. They're like, what are you talking about? You know, it's, you know, it's yeah, just yeah. so much ingrained in our Irish identity in so many ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, definitely. And so all the rest of them are listening to Pink Floyd and smoking pot and you guys are... Yeah, we were listening to Pink Floyd too. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah. um, uh, we weren't smoking pot, actually. There was... Um, on later ships I was on, there was pop, but, but that one there wasn't. Like that's how, you know, the the um, when we when we did the intro course in London before we went to join the ship, 
um, they they issued us with free condoms. Oh right, uh, because the assumption was that you were going to need them, and they didn't want you get catching any uh, diseases, uh, exotic diseases, exotic diseases <laughs> <laughs> like syphilis. <laughs> and uh, I'd never seen a condom. Never of course seen not. One. Of course not. Yeah. No. When did they come into Ireland? Uh, it was the 90s. It was just when Gayburn did that. <laughs> this is a condom. Okay. Okay. There it is. This is what all the fuss is about. <laughs> um, but it must have been around that time that they came in. Uh, or were they even in? I don't know. Th- well, they were available if you if you knew the right channels to get them to, <laughs> you know. I discovered that later. Condom sure. dealers. Uh, yeah. yeah. When we got married, if you want... So this is 1984. If you wanted condoms, you were to... Um, uh, write to and send a check to the <laughs> family planning service in up in Galbraith Street. You know, it's still there. Oh that. my goodness! And uh, and you would get your prescription uh, order in a in a um, you know a brown. Uh, oh my goodness! An unmarked envelope. Unmarked envelope. <laughs> yeah. It would come back in. Yeah. You have or to fill out a form. That, What's your libido like? <laughs> either that, or you had to go to the doctor and get a prescription. You did. Have, I was going to say that as a joke, but yeah, yeah you did have to get a prescription. Yeah. Oh my goodness! Except, except you got it from the Irish Family Planning Association. It's the only reason I'm here. We couldn't afford it. <laughs> we couldn't afford it. <laughs> Shame. <laughs> um, oh my goodness! Right. So, but then you, so, because by the time you meet, by the time you meet Ma'am on the ship, you've joined Operation Mobilization and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. You've really committed at this point. You, so yeah. So I, it was a gradual thing. I, I went to uh, John and I met up again in college in Glasgow. Um, and this is Nordy John. Uh, yeah, Nordy and you, John, are, yeah. Are you still in contact with this fella at all? Or yeah, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did I meet him? No. Uh, you mm. did. You would have done when you were children. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. In Winchester? No. 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 In, in in Northern Ireland, he still lives in Northern Ireland. Okay. Ireland. Right. Wow. Um, but uh, he, uh, so sorry, you went to Glasgow. Oh, yeah, you met we him went again to Glasgow, Glasgow. Sorry. And we um, uh, so then through him, I met a, a whole group of people who were. Uh, interested in uh, studying the scriptures, interested in following Jesus, different church backgrounds, um, and we would we would meet. Uh, I think it was once a week, or week or once a fortnight, like on a Wednesday evening in one of the colleges. So there's a number of different colleges, um, so we we're all students of one kind or another. And there's lots of nice girls there, and that's, <laughs> that always helped. But I'd like Although to follow actually, Jesus and the girls. <laughs> actually, uh, no, I, I, uh, I've just shot myself in the foot there now because I did have a girlfriend back in Ireland. At that time. <laughs> oh yeah, but that doesn't mean they did anything. They could still be nice girls. Yeah, you yeah, were just yeah. looking at the through yes, the window. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's um, that's the girl you went out for four years, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah, I remember. Yeah. yeah. Um. So anyway, I got seriously interested during that time because. Again, lots of conversations, lots mm. of um, discussion about things. And, and if so, for example, you have a girlfriend back at home, is that kind of conversation then happening with her? Are you telling yeah, her that yeah. you're getting interested in this stuff? Yeah, she thinks I'm going real. What's, what's happening to Oh, she thinks you're going mad? Not, uh, well, not mad, but, but yeah. it, it was very strange for her and okay, difficult yeah. for her to figure out what was going on. You know? yeah. um, and uh, so then, yeah, eventually I finished up that year in Glasgow, went back to sea, and I had made a decision that this was something for me. I was going to take this whole Jesus following thing seriously um, and uh, allow it to shape my life. Um, 
And so I did and went back to sea and, you know, you face all that kind of stuff that life at sea involves in and mm. it was some interesting discussions and challenges. I'm in sure, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Young, yeah. young men at sea, it's going to yeah. be difficult. Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. Um, and then uh, I went back to Glasgow again for my second year. And so I, at this that stage, I was still going to uh, Mass every Sunday when I could. When at sea, you didn't get a chance to go very often, but... Um, and then I was back in Glasgow and I was going to Mass there and it was doing nothing for me at all, you know, and there was nobody, I didn't meet anybody there, I wasn't, um, nobody talked to me, I didn't talk to anyone there. Um, so one Sunday I remember walking out and thinking, I'm going to see if there's anywhere else right. <laughs> uh, where I could find something. So I'd never had any, I had no idea about other churches at all, none. Like I didn't know about denominations or anything like that. There was Protestants. That was kind yeah. of, that was it. <laughs> um, so I started asking people. I asked that guy John, who was back in college as well, and I asked some of the other people I knew. And then I just started going around to different uh, churches. And I remember him taking me to the church that he was going to in Glasgow at that time. Yeah. And uh, I couldn't believe it. The guy preached for half an hour. <laughs> Right, <laughs> I was, and at the start of the sermon, I remember he took out a packet of sweets and offered me a sweet, and I was thinking that's really weird. Like somebody, <laughs> body <a> of Christ, <laughs> <laughs> someone eating a sweet in church, and then by the time by the time the sermon came to an end, I think I had about four sweets. You know, because <laughs> he just it was so his... long. I was used to five minutes. You know, all right, okay, in, in mass. Like, so there would be all the ceremony of mass, five minutes, and then that's kind of it type that, thing. That was right. the sermon. The homily was five minutes. Yeah, right. Whereas yeah. this guy was talking for half an hour, mm. I, I I'd never come across that, never heard that. You know? Right, and you found it too too much, or um, you enjoyed it, or I I I don't think I actually enjoyed him. I, like I don't remember being particularly mm. excited about what he was saying or anything. I, I, to be honest, I can't remember any yeah. any of it. What was, but I don't remember being excited about it. Half an hour, you, you've done longer yourself, would you? <laughs> <laughs> I've been afflicted. <laughs> that's that's half time for Sean Mullen. <laughs> uh, no, 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 but um, so that so so you take it seriously and you and you and you meet and oh, look, we had Mam on the podcast before. You joined Operation Mobilization, which was a missionary ship, yeah. travels the world, spreading the good, good news, and you meet this you meet this woman. Yeah, and so I, this ship came into Glasgow while so that's how I was in college. Oh, yeah. so that's how your relationship yeah. with that ship started, yeah. right? So okay. I was fascinated, of course, by it. You know, being at sea. Yes, it was uh, a real coming together yeah, of all the yeah. things you've been. Through. Yeah. yeah, and unbeknownst to me, uh, your mom was on the ship at the time. She was on the ship in Glasgow. Yeah, oh, yeah. wow! Yeah, right. But, but I, you didn't I, meet her till I didn't meet her till a year and a half later. Oh, wow! Um, but uh, but that was the beginning of the relationship. Because I I kind of signed up for a newsletter or to stay in touch or something like that, and I said well, when I qualified I'd be interested in doing it. Um, so uh, I stayed in touch and uh, I qualified. I was still working for P and O. Then I got made redundant, and then next thing this letter arrives from them saying they're looking for a, a navigation officer to work in the ship. Um, and where were you in so the other stage? Back in in I was in Cork. Cork, yeah, yeah, right. Cove. Wow. Yeah. Jeannie Mac. I'm just thinking like all the the path that your life has taken based on your man in your class getting a letter and he's getting to go do an interview I know, in Glasgow. Yeah. yeah. And when you think about that, so yeah. that you, you go to sea, 
you find you you know you find a a way of life that you are happy with with following Jesus and you pursue that a little bit and the crossover with being at sea and then your wife is on a boat that you end up joining a year and a half later yeah. that wife that you end up having three kids you know it's crazy yeah, yeah, yeah. it's crazy yeah. But life is like that, isn't it? Like yeah. it turns, it turns on these moments of decision that you you don't even realize. You're not aware yeah, of yeah. the significance of them at the time at all. Um, and uh, but yeah, once you push the door or open it at all, then there's you realize, oh wow, this is the this is the road, mm. um, and uh, suddenly you're you're all the way down it. And then you look back and you go, oh yeah, I could have taken that other road, or yeah, I could have done yeah. this, you know. Yeah, but I didn't. You. Um, so for the for the majority, well, it's not the majority of our childhood, but you eventually settle in Ireland after you get married and you go to study again. Yeah. Christian philosophy. Yeah, theology. The- yeah. Christ- yeah. Christian theology, philosophy. <laughs> um, but It was a bit of philosophy. Yeah, it? yeah. Not much. But that was difficult times because I, I, I know, I know that's where me and my brother were born. Yeah. And you're in this Bible school in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> in Tipperary, well, Tipperary people wouldn't call it nowhere, but yeah. Uh, but I mean, they would. The I just I did a gig in Burn Court recently in Tipperary, and I asked them Colebrook, and they're like, "Yeah, I don't." Care. <laughs> <laughs> it was a pretty off the beaten track. Oh like. yeah, it was a pub in the post office. Yeah, there wasn't even a church there. That like yeah, that's exactly what it was. <laughs> I mean, do you know why that started there? That Bible school? Why uh, was it just land was given? Somebody or donated a bit of land. Right. A farmer donated a bit of land. That's why. Right. That's okay. Where it started there. Yeah. But though, so when you talk about, um, you know, your path, you you can see that your path went certain ways. It it wasn't bloody easy either, was it? Oh no, it wasn't easy. No, no, there was. There, I mean, that uh, time was difficult. I mean, yeah. when I look back. <laughs> there was there was um, uh, there was no real uh, guaranteed source of financial income. Yeah. Um, we discovered afterwards uh, that that uh, your mom had been entitled to. Uh, um, uh, a weekly payment from the the government that right. <laughs> uh, Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> no hope of claiming that now. <laughs> we could maybe do it with interest, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, we uh, we were living at a shoestring, you know. Yeah, it was. But it, there was a lot of fun times there too. Like there was a lot of uh, great things happened, and um, we had made a lot of good friends, friends that we have to this day, you know. Mm. Um, Thirty whatever 35 years later yeah um so yeah it was it was challenging it was challenging times in ireland as well like the, yes. the place was uh, just a mess yeah. the bumper sticker was the last person to leave the country please switch out the lights yeah that's what people had on the back of yeah, their, yeah. their car windscreen you know that's crazy um yeah so it was a very very difficult time we had i think we had three elections one year Wow, While really? I was studying, yeah. And yeah. That, and that, did that bounce between the parties, or did it? Uh, yeah, it was. It was Garrett and Charlie fighting it out. Okay, yeah, Genie yeah. Mac. So, and and then in in the middle of all that, you've no money. You're in the middle of nowhere. You're doing. You're studying your Christian theology. It's struggling, and you decide to have a couple of babies. <laughs> 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 Just to add a bit of fuel yeah. to the fire, um, well, but but it was it was. What was it like being a dad in those situations? You know, what was it? Because you were still, what were you, twenty four? Were you? I was twenty four when we got married, so I was twenty. I was twenty six when you were born. Twenty six when I was born. Yeah, and man, you've like I look back and kind of go like I had my daughter at thirty, 
and I suppose not nothing, nothing set in ground in my in, in my life and we moved country a couple of times and there was all that silly madness as well. But um twenty six, having had a career in the navy and then decided to take on this career that you've no idea if you can, as you said, make income and then to become a father is a big deal as well, with poor mam who's used to Buenos Aires or whatever coming to Tipperary. <laughs> Do you remember, do you look back at that young man and go, Jeannie Mac? Well, I, I, do, I do look back and say, if someone came to me looking for advice and they they were in that situation, <laughs> I wouldn't tell them to do what <laughs> I did. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. That's, uh, you and know. Was it a stressful time or did you just get on with it or, did, you know? Um, like I said, I think it was a mix of, there were definitely stressful times. There were times when you didn't know. Uh, there was a, there was a, a day when we had to decide whether we'd buy a liter of milk or post a letter because we couldn't afford to do both. Yeah, that was um, yeah. Now uh, there wasn't it wasn't like that all the time or anything yeah. like that. You know, we weren't we weren't miserable or yeah. Uh, and and there was lots of fun and lots of good times. Um, and but there was always a sense of um, that we were. Uh, doing the right thing like it wasn't yes, yeah. it wasn't like well you felt that your life had meaning that's for sure yeah and that's huge yeah. that's a huge thing for people in, yeah. in, in life you know that's i mean well, we weren't i i don't think we ever got really down or depressed or anything like that mm. i mean it was difficult we faced difficult times yeah um but but that wasn't the the color of the whole thing yes yeah, yeah yeah you you were still you're still up for the not necessarily yeah. the fight but the challenge you're yeah. you're up for the the challenge of it all and a lot of it was was to do with the people that we met. Um, yeah, brilliant people. Yeah, and loads of friends. And like I said, people were were still in contact with today. Today. Yeah. To uh, and then mo- moving from Tipperary to Cork and then to Middleton, where you started your own church. You were still, you were thirty, I think, when you did that. Yeah. Wow, like to me again now. To me, I'm kind of going <laughs> bloody hell. But and you three kids as well. But that's a cultural difference. Like there was nothing unusual about that. Really, at that time, okay. Uh, people getting married in their mid twenties and having yeah, a couple yeah, of kids sure, by yeah, before yeah. they were thirty was normal. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah. Well, yeah, that that definitely was normal in uh, at those times. But also to take on the responsibility of I'm going to start a church. Yeah. Uh, well. Well, that was. So we had worked with another church in Cork City for three years, and that was um, I, no. And at that stage, and I'm on a, a, a salary, right? So um, it's it's easier. I'm employed by mm-hmm. the Baptist Association, um, and uh, and how then, do you get a job like that? From, <laughs> <laughs> from situations wanted <laughs> from from. From uh, from Bible college, essentially. Yeah, did but you start applying for jobs, or just people know who no, you are? No, I, I was. Uh, we, I, I had gotten involved when I went back from Glasgow that time. After I went church hunting, hunting I went back to Cork and I got, right. got involved with this ah, little okay. uh, congregation in Cork City. Right, um, and they were great. Again, wonderful people, and so that relationship was there long before before I went on the ship. Even it was there. Um, and uh, so it developed over the years, and then the man that was was the minister there, Ted. Uh, Ted. He wow. was he was involved in the kind of um, hiring and of people, and he was the one that encouraged me to apply for right for joining. He him. was a great man. I remember I remember him very yeah, well. Yeah. Yeah. Real fatherly figure. Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, and really calm, and and his wife as well. The way they both spoke with it. Yeah. 
little lilt of Northern Ireland, but they were so calm and, and, and nice. And we still go to visit them once a year down in Cork. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, and then you went from there. So that's where I like. I kind of remember my childhood as Middleton, really. Yeah, yeah. Because I suppose it was just the years that it was. You know, it was ten years of from four to fourteen for me. But it was like that was where you started your first church, along yeah. with the band of brothers and sisters, and. It started down the play school down the end of the estate. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and uh, well, geez, we were the oddballs, though, in the town. Yeah, we, we were. And and definitely, I, you know, one of the things that I look back on, I realize we did not take seriously enough how um, much of an impact that would have had on you guys growing up, you know? <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, so I got a show out of it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's yeah. It, but but on a yeah on a serious note, it's definitely something that I've been definitely working through myself, without any blame yeah, on yeah. anybody. But kind of realizing because I would look back because I've definitely thought and looked back on your life and gone, Jeannie Mac, he's battling the elements in his identity in his relationship with his dad. Yeah, you know, because your dad didn't accept what you went and did. Uh, of work being born again christian uh, preacher and all that so you know he never asked you how your work was going because he did not accept that that's what you did and mm-hmm. you had another relation who kind of basically said you're not part of the family and blah blah and all that so that's pretty tough stuff to take on board you're also the blow-in when you get to middleton yeah so i i, I think of you as like the sex pistols to be honest with you because <laughs> it is quite <laughs> and i know it's it's not <laughs> But it was punk. It was kind of going in, in a lot of ways. Like, I'm doing what everybody else doesn't want me to do in some sense. Yeah. All the people in your life didn't want you. And even then, you're at some point, you're getting it from your kids as well. Because it's just like, can we not just be normal like everybody else? <laughs> yeah. um, but what? But you were doing it for, for your b- belief system. And, you know, it was your meaning. It was your purpose. And, I mean, you still did great things, you know, in, in the you world. Could, you could say it was like punk, only quieter. <laughs> <laughs> holy, holy punk. <laughs> um, but it was like, yeah, it, it, yeah, it certainly was. Um, I, I realized looking back, uh, and I was reflecting on this a while ago, that, that I've always been a rule breaker, but not mm. the typical rule ba- breaker in the sense of being loud and rebellious yeah, and making yeah. a big... But, just quietly kind of saying no i don't like that uh, i don't think that's right mm. and i think this is a better way of doing it yes um and uh i find myself still uh doing that in some ways like even when it comes to politics and things like this you know or or like the social business side of it that was another thing that i just thought why does it have to be either business or charity why mm. can we why can there not be something else in between those two You've so th- that's right. Yeah. That's what what I always thought of you as was a rebel, but people tend to think of a rebel being loud and yeah. being and and you never you were always rebelling against what it was that you were told that you had to be. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, and uh, and I remember you doing it with Third Space. I remember there would been a, a specific situation with regards to money, and you wanted to talk to somebody, but there was a blockage in the bureaucracy of you couldn't go and talk to somebody at a certain level. And it was through some other loop, basically, that the boss of the person at the top that you wanted to talk to got to that person and said, you need to talk to this guy, you, down at the bottom. And you were like, and I don't care if I get any money. And I don't care if it works. What I care about is that I love that the system doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. 
and that you love you love that I love to kind yes. of go and look this doesn't this doesn't work yeah. all the time Sub- subversion yes is, uh, I, I, I do like to subvert systems because to me relationships are much more important than mm. systems so if, if relationships are getting broken because of systems then for me it's always about subverting the system let's let's find a way around it or let's find a different way of doing it um, and uh, I think that that's you know third space in some ways kind of is a uh, an embodiment of that way of thinking because what you do is you find other people who want to do the same kind of thing and who yeah, really love yeah. the idea of doing it and then and then together you work on something that's uh, that becomes uh, a personification of that and that's what it is really you know. What is it that when you look back on the ten years of Middleton and how how do you think that it was it affected? The kids <laughs> in that in that situation, looking back at it. Do you want me to say sorry? <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, I veered away from that earlier on. That's not. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. But because um, I know I have my view of it, yeah, you know. Yeah. But but I also realize that my brother and sister, because we are different ages, have completely different experiences. Yeah. Like my sister does not have the same experiences of the neighborhood that we grew up in because she wasn't exposed to it. Yeah. Yeah. So she doesn't know half the stuff that that went on yeah. that I would have gone yeah. through, and it's a completely different experience, you know. Yeah, and uh, I mean, part of it, I, I think, um, I think if we were, uh, if I was doing it again, or if I uh, if I was talking to somebody else was doing, it, I would be more conscious of uh, protecting and uh, and shielding the children as they were growing up, um, and. Uh, being more clued in on what some of the um, challenges would be that they might be facing, you know, mm. and more more aware of of um, of how to coach and train them to deal with it mm. than I was at the time. I, mm. you know, it was, was very hard for you. Some, it was very hard for you to do at the time because you were kind of doing that as a job for other people, adults yeah, as well. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and it's it's part of it is taking off your your uh, your professional hat and mm. uh, you know not trying to be a preacher in the home. <laughs> yeah, um, and and I think also that there's um, uh, you know it once you look back, you're looking back with the wisdom of of you know the Mind's twenty yeah. thirty years since yeah, then. Yeah, of course. So. Uh, would you would you expect that person to know more than they did know? I, you know, I don't know. It's it's, it's hard. No, yeah, yeah, um, of course not. Yeah, I think for me the big the big thing is that that all those years on, we still have uh, relationships as a family that that we've grown together and uh, we were able to talk about the the good times and the bad times, and to me that's the most important thing. Like that, that we're we're still connected. And we're three. How do you feel about? I don't. I'm not looking for praise at all. But you've got three very individual kids, which I think is interesting. I, I and very different. Well, for me, it's more than interesting. For me, that's one of my the things that I am most proud of and happy <laughs> about is that that um, you know people would meet ye and go, "You're 
siblings, you know. That is very true. Do one yeah. of you get fostered out or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? So, because that was from the very start, we, we were very conscious. I don't know where this came from, but we were very conscious of, of seeking to treat each person as an individual and not do comparisons. Mm. Uh, like we would never, we would, we would catch each other and say, don't compare, don't compare. Okay, you know? right, yeah, yeah. Um, that that's not, uh, you shouldn't be doing that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we would, we were very conscious about that uh, because our our belief is that, that every individual, not just our children, every yes. child is a unique individual, mm. that there, there has never been one like you before or mm. since, and that's true of every of everyone. And mm. um, so there was a conscious attempt to, or we conscious, consciously chose to try to follow through on that and, mm. and respond in the appropriate way mm. even though we might have responded differently to one of the other children yeah, yeah. You know? and I remember being accused many times of being unfair <laughs> that was me <laughs> <laughs> um, um, for sure but it was it was consciously it wasn't wasn't seeking to be biased, mm. but it was it was seeking to treat each person as an individual. I get it all the time. I get it all the time that a people can't believe that I'm your son, for example, and then they start to go, oh yeah, yeah. After a while, <laughs> but the initial thing that they don't get, but uh, but for example, with Luke, for example, people cannot get our, their heads around the two of us, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> how we're completely different yeah. and opposite in so many ways, but we're we're still brothers, like you know. Yeah. And Melanie's interesting. I find her. She's. Uh, the more the, I don't know if, if it's age or something. The more I see that we've got stuff in common, but maybe I didn't know her because we were just generationally different growing up. That you know, but yeah, it is it is fascinating. But uh, we've come. I mean, we're coming to the end of the chat. Um, but it it all comes full circle. And you went and worked in churches basically in Cork and in Dublin for years. And what was the real thing that made you want to get into? Where did the idea for Third Space come from? Why did you want to move into that work? So that was that's a really interesting story. It might be a good good way to to finish up because uh, we were in Italy in two thousand and eight. Um, it was the summer that uh, your papa and my dad had died and that had been quite traumatic mm. and so we'd gone on this holiday after all that was over and uh, you know it was uh, you know just still in that sad time um, and I was in the garden on my own one day and I was reading the scripture and I was praying and uh, I I just had this experience that I can't really explain um, but I knew that uh, I was to leave behind uh, everything that I'd been doing up in that time and do something new. And all that was clear to me at that stage was that it would be in the city and it wouldn't be overtly religious in any way. Um, and that was about it. Oh, and that it would have to do with hospitality. That was all, all I wow. had. And, and it was so clear that I went back and gave a year's notice in my job, even though I didn't know what I was going to do next. Um, and uh, I, um, uh, yeah, so a year later I launched the Third Space Project thinking that it would take six months to get it going and it took <laughs> two over two years to get That's it going. That's right, yeah. That was tough as well. Um, it was another challenging time. Yeah, it was, it was. Uh, but the big difference I think then was that you you guys were all financially independent and not, you know, it, we couldn't have done it if someone had been in college or something mm. like that and wanting to, uh, needing financial support but because we were at a stage in life where that wasn't the case um, then we uh, we were able to do it take the risk yeah a little bit more yeah 
Not a little bit of subversion. Do you think? What do you think happens at third space, or what do you think? Because you, I remember speaking to you in terms of you thought of life nearly, or maybe your career or your work in terms of ten year gaps. Do you think that you do move on from this? Do you think something else will come, or do you kind of trust in you don't know what is going to happen next? And uh, I, I do like it's been interesting because I've entered a world where um, stuff is, uh, um, you know, different. And and there's a whole world developing around social enterprise in Ireland. So I don't know that there might be a role for me in there. But it's changed here because the guy who set it up with me has just uh, yes, left. Yes, that's so right. He's retired. So that's changed roles quite a bit anyway. Mm. Uh, so I'm at the moment, I'm still just getting used to that. And we'll see what happens after that. Sorry, Gloria's just entered the room. <laughs> <laughs> Ciao, mommy. <laughs> she danced in the background there. She just a little tango said, I won't interrupt. <laughs> Stop dancing then. <laughs> um, I think that, like, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on and having a chat. Very uh, welcome. Thank you. No, thanks fun. a million. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Sean Mullen. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.